Join us as we explore the exciting past of the grand state of Texas from the archives of the Texas Collection. Host Dr. Mary Landon Darden will introduce Texas history writers who will tell dramatic and often little known Texas tales right here on Treasures of the Texas Collection. Welcome to the Treasures of the Texas Collection, brought to you by Baylor University Libraries, KWBU-FM, and William and Kathleen Wardlaw. The Texas Collection at Baylor University may be one of the first places that come to mind when researching the collective past of Central Texans. But what about the individual past? How does it rank when undertaking the journey of self-discovery that ensues when researching the old family tree? Terry Joe Ryan, freelance writer and chairperson of the Waco History Project, recently interviewed the staff at the Texas Collection to learn more about the quest for information to fill in those missing leaves. Welcome, Terry Joe. Thank you. Well, you know, speaking as a longtime fan of the place, I must say I was surprised to learn just how many resources there are for people doing genealogical research. I was taken on a behind-the-scenes tour of the stacks to see for myself the thousands upon thousands of books and other kinds of publications, such as pamphlets and church histories, funeral home records, the Sanborn insurance maps, and even cookbooks. Cookbooks. Well, yeah. The Texas (laughs) Collection has one of the most comprehensive cookbook collections in the state, if not the country. And many of these cookbooks are the results of multi-generational family heirloom recipes being handed down from days of yore. From making church suppers for 300 to uh, a simple dish of breakfast scallops that, quote, pass the Uncle Vernon test, unquote, <laughs> uh, these cookbooks can offer examples of unusual but valuable ways of preserving family legacies. You know, one staff member, for example, pointed me to the Cates family cookbook, which integrated family photos and anecdotes about their favorite culinary delights with the practical how-to information on preparation. Well, before we get too far afield in our hunt for sources here... Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Oh, sure. (laughs) Now, the folks at the Texas Collection report that although they are not an official genealogical library, nor do they have any such specialist on staff, they do try to accommodate as many requests as they are able by steering people to the right resources. They get several requests a week from people who, for example, might start their story this way. My great-great-grandpappy was in a Confederate regiment, or great-great-uncle Hiram was a Baptist preacher on the frontier, etc. To save them from a lot of blind groping at the very start, the Texas Collection staff recommends starting with the county records. So in general, Texas began officially recording births and deaths in 1903. So those birth and death certificates are on file at the Texas Department of Health. Marriage and divorce records are also on file at the county clerk's office of each individual county. It should be noted, however, that although the state required filing of those certificates for birth and death. It started in 1903. This law was not strictly adhered to by many physicians until years later, so the early records are somewhat sketchy. Uh, some earlier vital records are also on file at the county level in only some of the counties. Can, can you give us a, some examples of that? Well, sure. Um, uh, now, the Texas Collection is part of what's called the Regional History Resource Depository, and so they're in charge of keeping the records from the following counties, in addition to, of course, McLennan County itself. Bell, Bosque, Burnett, Coriel, Falls, Hamilton, Hill, Lampasas, Limestone, and Williamson. Hmm. So uh, being an RHRD library, uh, they're one of 23 participating libraries in Texas that received the microfilm records of these selected counties in our area from their local records divisions. 
These microfilmed materials are then loaned throughout the interlibrary loan system and can be requested for off-site use, so patrons can contact a library assistant to request materials or for more information about the program itself. Terry what kind of records are we talking about here? Well, this is where it gets a little tricky because it's only what those particular counties decided to microfilm. For example, in Hill County, they have the birth, death, marriage, and deed records from 1903 until 1938 on microfilm. They also have the minutes of the district court's civil case papers from 1867 to 1932, for example. They have the minutes from the divorce hearings dating back to 1876, and those are kind of fun to read because they talk about the grounds for the divorce and the separation of the property. Hmm. She gets the mule, he gets the house. Well, exactly, that sort of thing. And so Hill County had them up to 1947. They also have those naturalization records from 1896 to 1913 and what were called declarations of intent from 1907 to 1913. And these are the records that people had to swear before a local official like, you know, I hereby renounce King so-and-so of such-and-such <laughs> as I'm fixing to become an American citizen. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, Hill County also has the tax rolls from 1853 to 1910 on microfilm. If you owned a business, I suppose the government was going to get its share. That's right, and these are just a small ex uh, sample of the kinds of records that are available. And the thing is, like I said, each county is unique. Some saved more data, some saved less. The good news is, if you need to research items from a county that is not part of the Texas Collections Assigned Depository, all those counties that I mentioned earlier, you can request the loan of microfilm from another one of the libraries in the system. And it's a free service to the taxpayers of Texas. Yay. A library to library loan. I mean, how cool is that? That's great. Your tax dollars at work. Um, of course, before you get too excited about it all, just remember, not all records of all counties are available on microfilm just yet. Although some records of Texas courts, such as those naturalization and probate records, have been microfilmed, others, including criminal and civil case papers, are available only in the paper format. Can you give us some examples? Well, sure. Um, there's uh, examples of court records that the diligent family researcher can hunt through, include Justice of the Peace Courts, and these were among the lowest level of the local trial courts in the Texas judicial system, and their jurisdiction is restricted to the least serious of the misdemeanor offenses and minor civil matters, including small claims court. So Justice of the Peace officers also have the power to issue the search or arrest warrants, and they also serve as the coroner, coroner in the counties where there's no provision for a medical examiner. Uh, there's also county courts. Uh, they have generally more authority than the justice of the peace courts, but less than that of the state district courts. They have jurisdiction over the appeals of the cases from the justices of the peace and the local municipal courts, and the county clerk rec records a wide variety of documents for the county, including the deeds, marriage licenses, and cattle brands. Uh, huh. The main duties of the county clerk are to serve as the clerk of the court, uh, county court, and the county commissioner's court, act as the recorder of deeds and other instruments, issue the marriage license, and take depositions. So the clerk was also responsible for conducting countywide special and general elections and for handling absentee voting. Uh, there's also district court records. District court is the principal trial court in Texas, usually for both the civil and criminal cases. It's the court of original jurisdiction in all the family law matters and is the court of appeal in probate matters. Courts of original jurisdiction provide the first hearing on a specific case as opposed to the appellate courts, which hear the appeals of cases and are, were originally tried in the lower courts. Terry Joe, it sounds like this could be an overwhelming amount of information to sift through. Well, agreed. So the people at the Texas Collection may refer 
initial questions and patrons themselves to Bill Buckner, who's the genealogy specialist at the Waco McLennan County Library System. Mm -hmm. And he often recommends that beginners begin with the U.S. Census records for their dearly departed kinfolk. And the most recent census for which people can get partial or restricted information is the 1930 census. Now, Texas's first federal census, of course, was the 1851 because it became a state in 1845. Now, it used to be a really long and tedious process to sift through a lot of those census records, but now several online databases have digitized some of the data. For example, the Baylor University Library System subscribes to what's called the Heritage Quest Service, which is first and foremost for the research needs of the Baylor students and the university community. What could people find in the census records? Well, census records are great for finding heads of household, wives, kids, in-laws, boarders, and tracking the age or education level, professions, whether or not somebody owned land. It's, you know, basically a snapshot of a given day in one year of their life. And you can use that information to chart the migration patterns in your family. However, census surveys, you know, are only taken every 10 years. So if you have no idea where your ancestor was living in a given year, or the census taker unfortunately happened to misspell the last name, you can find yourself going down a lot of blind alleys. Other great avenues to pursue, according to Texas Collection staffers, are the area or county histories compiled by the amateur historians of a region. In most cases, they are the compilation of mini-biographies, if you will, of the people of a place that have been submitted along the years. The Grayson County book, for example, has the stories of ordinary citizens of that area compiled for more than 100 years, people who have shared their anecdotes, information, and family photographs to enrich the public record. And the Texas Collection also boasts at least 100 church histories in its records. These church histories may sometimes include minutes of board meetings, baptismal records, as well as marriage and death records. How about those books that families give out at family reunions. Is there a place for them in the Texas collection as well? Oh, you bet. In fact, the staff mentioned that they welcomed those most of all. People put a lot of work into creating those family record books, and often they have no idea just how valuable they could prove to some other researcher someday. Most people are unaware that the libraries are so keenly interested in those documents. And when they are told about it, these amateur historians are often flattered that somebody would like to keep a copy for posterity. (laughs) One staff member told me about a family that every generation designates a record keeper. Thus, their family history is now in its fifth edition. Very impressive. What a good idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. What are some of the other resources likely to be overlooked by the beginning genealogist? Well, cemetery records, for one. The Texas Collection has an eight-volume set of cemetery records for Waco and McLennan County. And some of the information was gleaned by Eagle Scouts and other volunteers doing graveyard census research, such as taking photos and notes at each tombstone inscription they came across. And don't forget, funeral home records, which document who dies, including when and where, and often recount some of the circumstances of a death. The accounts from the pioneer days make real fascinating reading. It seems that a lot of folks were killed being run over by wagons, falling from buildings, or sicknesses that we don't even worry about anymore. Uh, The records often indicate if the decedent's family paid in cash or had to barter for services. Now, that's something that would never happen today. (laughs) Indeed. Now, one staff member alerted me to what's called the Index of Early McLennan County Deaths by John M. Usry, published in 1987 by the Central Texas Genealogical Society, and it contains close to 33,000 names of people who died before 1917 or folks who were important in the early days of Waco history but whose death dates are unknown. Wow. Most of this information was gleaned from cemetery books, law and health records, marriage records, obituaries, funeral home records, newspaper accounts, as well as family and county histories. 
Now, uh, Usri became active in the society in 1971 after he retired from the Navy. He served in most of the offices of the Genealogical Society during the next several years. As a result of his strict, self-imposed schedule and his leadership in it, he and the other members gathered enough information to publish the eight volumes of cemetery records, two volumes of marriage records, as well as a quarterly publication. He read an awful lot of old newspapers to gather those obituaries, and some of the deaths he recorded for posterity come off as kind of odd. Quote, the walls of trenches collapsed, teams of horses broke loose, and it seemed like one could hardly leave town without a corpse or two turning up in the countryside, he wrote at one point. Preachers died in their pulpits or litigants were shot in the courthouse. Oh, goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Now the phrase struck in the head by a locomotive comes up. (laughs) <laughs> I, I do, do not want to imagine that one. Oh, uh, people uh, were listed as having died of uh, a cough <clears throat> um, or suicided uh, by any variety of poisons, including horse liniment, gunfire, or jumps from barges, barns, and bridges. Wow. Now, So he also edited a comprehensive listing of the occupants, uh, shall we say, of Oakwood Cemetery, mm-hmm. and that was published back in 1979. So, ergo, it's already 30 years behind the times in recording the final resting places of the latest generation of prominent Wacoans. That sounds like a good volunteer opportunity or student project. What else is available? Well, the Texas Collection also houses many genealogical volumes by a researcher named Ms. Frances Terry Ingmeyer, who chronicled several dozen county histories. One of her works, originally published in Chicago in 1893, has the ponderously long title of, get ready for it, A Memorial and Biographical History of McLennan Falls, Bell, and Coriel Counties, Texas, containing a history of this important section of the great state of Texas from the earliest period of its occupancy to the present time, together with glimpses of its future prospects, also biographical mention of many of the pioneers and prominent citizens of the present time, and full-page portraits of some of the most eminent men of this section. Wow, that's a mouthful. (laughs) Now, some of the counties kept records on who was committed to mental institutions. Uh, For more than 100 years ago, for example, records were kept of people with epilepsy. Um, Now, the Texas Collection also has the coroner's inquest records of Anderson County from 1887 to 1928. That's another example. Oh, and don't forget to check the scholastic census of various counties. For, of course, before the historic U.S. Supreme Court case, Brown versus Board of Education decision in 1954, those records would have included, of course, the racial demographic information as well. Uh, for one example, we have McLennan County's scholastic census records from 1930 until 1942 broken down by race. Terry Joe, you mentioned the assortment of records from surrounding counties. What other records um, do we have specific to McLennan County here in the Texas collection? Let's see. Uh, Well, we have uh, tax rolls from, uh, gosh, 1851 to 1910. A lot of these records come from the mid-1800s going through the turn of the 20th century. Um, Things like birth records, county court records, deeds of trust, marriage records, declarations of intent, naturalization minutes. Um, you know, for more details, you can always go to the website uh, for the Texas Collection at Baylor University. Um, the probate records from 1853 to 1908, as well as two stashes of district court civil case minutes. And uh, the 5th District Court minutes, for example, are from 1893 until 1904, and the 19th District Court records are from 1851 to 1907. Um, apparently, though, there are neither criminal records nor adoption records that have been microfilmed yet for McLennan County.
Another path of investigation for the amateur family historian is to search through the ethnic periodicals, such as Polish footprints, Czech footprints, or family history magazines like the Burleson Quarterly. Uh, The Texas Collection has more than 100 such titles for that kind of use. The various ethnic groups instrumental in the settlement of Texas are well represented in the library's holdings. Terry Joe, what about those folks with Confederate ancestors? Ah, well, naturally, many Native Southerners are interested in pursuing the lines of inquiry about those Confederate ancestors. Most counties have a military record called the muster roll or the enrollment records in their holdings. Military discharge records provide a lot of information on the times, places, and circumstances of service. You can also check the pension applications as a way to verify a veteran or his survivors. I'd also recommend checking what's called the Cumulative Index of the Confederate Veteran. The Confederate Veteran was a magazine published between 1893 and 1932. You can hunt by name or by unit through its three-volume index of more than 2,700 pages, and it's got like a half million entries into it, including every name and significant mention and cross-referencing charts as well. On a similar vein, the National Archives itself has published what's called, quote, a consolidated index to compiled Confederate service records. And that's available on microfilm at many large historical libraries. It's quite a bit. Yes, it is. I mean, it's, it's a lot to, to work through. Now, one of the holdings that are unique to the Texas collection, so we can take pride in this, uh, a library assistant told me, is a six-volume set known as the Biographical Gazetteer or is it Gazetteer of Texas? I think it's Gazetteer. Oh, okay, there you go. (laughs) Uh, And it was a 1985 publication of the Biographical Sketch File at the Texas Collection, and it's an ongoing project. So the Biographical Gazetteer of Texas uh, indexes more than 200 late 19th century, early 20th century volumes, and it's a finding aid for information about prominent individuals by providing name, birth or death date, a title and a page number of the publication where that biographical sketch could be found, and uh, several libraries across the state keep a copy of it. I know because uh, when I was Googling for information about it, I saw it listed several places. How about African-American genealogy and any particular options for this or other ethnic groups? Well, Waco is very fortunate indeed to have the records of the Boykins Funeral Home, which served the black community, and it kept comprehensive records for the 70 years that it was open uh, between 1921 and 1991. Uh, the index of 215 pages was compiled from more than 30 volumes of records with more than 9,000 names, and it was printed by the Central Texas Genealogical Society as a research aid. And then, of course, there are the volumes of the cemetery records collected by those volunteer census takers in the greater Waco area that I mentioned earlier. You know, cemetery records of any type are just rich in detail and ripe with pathos. You know, the fall and uh, pucket funeral records that we have from 1892 to 1931, for example, they give a lot of insights into the conditions of life in Waco and McLennan County during that really rough and tumble era. Uh, Many deaths, for example, caused by diseases that were almost unheard of today, like whooping cough, typhoid fever, tuberculosis. Many women, unfortunately, lost their lives in childbirth, and babies were born either stillborn or died soon after their entry into the world. And gunshot wounds, stabbings, even hangings were listed as causes of death. And though a few people died simply of old age, you know, fatal accidents were quite common. You mentioned earlier about bartering for services. How did that work? Well, that was pretty interesting to me from those funeral home records is how people could pay for their undertaking services. You know, cash, especially in the post-Civil War era, was not especially plentiful in this part of Texas. 
And so the charges for funerals, you know, might have seemed modest by today's standards. Nevertheless, a lot of families had trouble making uh, the payments, and so they had to make special arrangements to actually finance those um, funerals, uh, you know, making small weekly or monthly payments, let's say less than $5 a month. Um, or if you were short on greenbacks, you could always barter household goods or perform professional services to pay for a funeral service. Um, a loan could be taken out on your livestock or real estate, or some community leader could step forward and guarantee your payments to the company on behalf of somebody else. Now, McLennan County, the county government, of course, had to pay for the funerals of paupers and strangers. Um, th that index of some 14,000 names really helps the search through the 68 books of records that they have at the Texas Collection. Uh, library assistants note that all the names there do not indicate funerals took place. For example, some sales tickets were for moving bodies from one place to another or from the train into town. A few were for flowers bought by friends or for caskets bought by another firm. Um, other tickets were for the use of an ambulance when that equipment became available uh, or for an extra carriage for the funeral. Some of the funerals held in Waco were for people who had died elsewhere. Um, there were also tickets for persons who died in Waco and then were buried in other far distant places. This was especially true for the Doughboys of World War I's Camp MacArthur, who died of complications of the Spanish influenza. Those grieving families of these Wisconsin and Michigan National Guardsmen wanted their loved ones brought home by train. Terry Joe, was there consistency in the type of information provided by these various records? Well, as you can imagine, some records gave a lot of information, but others gave very little. For example, there's a space on each page for the date of the ticket, the name of the deceased with the name of the person who ordered the funeral. Typically, of course, that would be a friend or a relative. Uh, the name of the person for whom it was ordered, their next of kin, the person responsible for paying the funeral costs, that sort of thing. Um, the cause, the time, date of death, place, time, date of interment the name of the attending physician sometimes, the itemized funeral charges when available, and the terms of payment. Now, sometimes the last known residence of the deceased person is mentioned, and that can be verified through the use of a period Waco City directory. Some of these records mention the date of birth as well as death and the name of the deceased person's parents, including the maiden name of the mother and the birthplace of each parent. What a wealth of data. That's great. Any, any other resources that you can tell us about in addition to the cemetery records. Well, the Texas Collection at Baylor University naturally pays special attention to Baptist history in the Lone Star State, but it also collects the history of a lot of other denominations as well. For example, yeah, the Presbyterians of Houston have quite a large history in this collection. Um, also, the Texas Collection has amassed a superb collection, if I do say so myself, of high school and college yearbooks, as well as the yearbooks for several military installations. Um, now, historical researchers will find a variety of published primary sources, including diaries, journals, and memoirs, as well as city, business, and social organization directories. And the Texas Collection is also home to a large number of privately printed autobiographies. What if your family goes way back, like, say, the days of Texas independence? Ah, well, the Texas Collection may be able to help there as well. It has the three-volume Encyclopedia of Frontier Biography, <laughs> which profiles approximately 4,500 frontier pioneers and Native Americans. Uh, Dan L. Thrapp's comprehensive work will interest scholars, researchers, and general readers curious about the figures that helped develop, defend, decorate, or bedevil the American West. <laughs> and uh, the famous folks from Daniel Boone and Billy the Kid and Calamity Jane to Cochise, General Custer and Buffalo Bill Cody, they're included, among others. But there's also entries for some of the lesser-known figures, uh, like Big Nose Kate, uh, that was the name of Doc Holliday's girlfriend, 
Uh, and I was tickled to read about Five Minutes to Midnight, uh, the world's greatest bucking horse. Uh, even actors who portrayed the Westerners are sketched in these volumes. And so the author has included 17th and 18th century figures in what was known back then as, you know, colonial New France and New England, uh, as well as the trans-Appalachian countryside. But the vast majority of those biographies are of 19th century men and women who discovered and settled and fought for or simply survived in the wilderness west of the Mississippi River. Sounds like if you have a suspicion that an ancestor of yours played any role of significance in the West, this is a wonderful resource to delve into. Oh, yeah, and a lot of fun to read. Uh, Another source for Wild West data is the Index to Frontier Times. Now, Frontier Times was a magazine published from 1923 until 1954 by a journalist named J. Marvin Hunter. And Hunter, who lived from 1880 to 1957, was a reporter in West Texas around the turn of the 20th century and quite the amateur historian of his day. He collected the true stories of, quote, frontier history, border tragedy, and pioneer achievement. And he was noted for publishing the autobiography of the outlaw John Wesley Hardin in 1925. He also founded a museum to Western heritage in Bandera that grew to international fame during the years preceding and throughout the Great Depression. And that's just a real small sample of what can be found at the Texas Collection when looking into these genealogical resources. There's a world of data out there just waiting to be mined. Terry Joe, thank you again for joining us and sharing some of the rich historical collections available to us in uncovering the stories of our past. Oh, and thank you for inviting me to delve deeper into the family trees of Central Texans. It really makes me want to start down the path of Ryan family genealogy someday. (laughs) To begin your family history quest, visit the Texas Collection at the Carroll Library on the Baylor campus. You may begin your search via Google with the Texas Collection at Baylor University. You have been listening to Treasures of the Texas Collection. I'm Mary Landon Darden. You have been listening to the Treasures of the Texas Collection. For more information, Google the website, The Texas Collection at Baylor University. Treasures of the Texas Collection was made possible by the generous support of William and Kathleen Wardlaw, the Texas Collection Guy B. Harrison Jr. Endowment Fund, and the Baylor University Libraries.